We are risen. You did better than I thought you would. Would have been better if there would have been a little mumbling and confusion. And then I was going to say, I knew we weren't really sure about that. And one of the reasons that sometimes we're not very sure about the fact that we are indeed risen by virtue of Christ's resurrection and our baptism is that we don't do much with dying. I suppose a lot of us uh, have used in one situation or another Bonhoeffer's line, when Christ calls a person to come and follow him, he calls him to come and die. What we don't recognize very often is that in Bonhoeffer's cost of discipleship, that's a baptismal line. He's talking about baptism. He's talking about our, our fundamental identity as sinners that has to be put to death, that has to come because of the mystery of the continuation of sin and evil in the lives of the baptized, that's got to come to daily dying, dying, killing. That's very much on our mind this week in this country. So on my mind last week, too, I um, participated in a, a um, major applied project, uh, uh, inquisition isn't the right word, um, review, uh, with a, a military chaplain, a Marine Corps chaplain, uh, part of the United States Marine Corps, who told us, as he was talking about his project of catechizing Marine recruits, that when you get an 18-year-old or a 19, 20-year-old American high school graduate into boot camp, you have to have them go f- make every move chanting, kill, kill, kill! Because American high school graduates, whatever we might want to say about them, don't take to killing easily. They have to be transformed from nice neighbor kids into warriors. Well, you and I don't get into killing very much either when it comes to the old Adam, to the sinful flesh. I've known the phrase mortification of the flesh, I suppose, since I was maybe even in catechism class in those days we did a little more with vocab. Um, but I don't use the phrase very much, I must say. I've been working on, on, uh, on Luther's understanding of what the pious life is all alike and I, uh, is like, and I realize that when we talk about the repentant life, we usually think about what we're going to do once the Holy Spirit's turned us around, but we don't think very much at all about the mortification of the flesh, about what we do with the sinful desires that just keep hanging on, that won't go away, that we have to battle or sometimes not battle day in, day out. Luther took very seriously, as he said in the, in the first of the 95 Theses, that the whole life of the Christian is a life of repentance. 
that the Holy Spirit has to turn us away from our sinfulness day in and day out, and he has to turn us back to faith in Christ, and he has to shove us into the life of love that that repentance produces. But we need also to recognize that we are in a battle, that the battle goes on, that there is this mystery of the continuation of sin and evil in the lives of the baptized. There are sinful habits that we would like to get rid of, (laughs) and there are some we kind of like to hang on to, too. The remains of the old... Ah, So, what I wanted to say was the remains of the old identity linger. What I have here is the remains of the old id linger. Hmm. Call it what you will. It's a reality in our lives. And it keeps tapping us on the shoulder. They, the little sins, the just kind of marginal mistakes and failures, keep tapping us on the shoulder saying... Pay some attention to me. Cultivate me a little bit more. Don't forget me. And in the midst of this continual encountering of the ambushes that Satan and the world and our fleshly desires keep throwing across our path, we need to stop. We need to stop them, and we need to stop ourselves from following them. I had originally thought that I would try to devise a a longer list of techniques we might employ. Um, But then I decided that in each of our lives, the battle takes a different shape. And any methodistic approach to fighting the flesh could help. It's something that I think we all ought to sit down and kind of plant plot and plan, a strategy, attack the tactics that we have to use in our own series of battles. But any method that we might devise always has the potential problem of becoming a focus for the battle. Yeah, it might be works righteous too, but that, that's a whole other question. It might become one focus for the battle that simply opens up a blind side for Satan to attack again. But somehow or other, we need to devise ways of confronting and countering with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the reminder that he has put us to death as sinners and given us his new identity, his identity, our identity as children of God. Fortunately, we're not in this alone. We don't have to just count on our own psychological imaginations. The Holy Spirit is with us, and he is more than glad to oblige us in this fight against our sinfulness. He is a specialist in the mortification of the flesh. Now, you and I think that his instruments for mortifying the flesh, we tend to call them plagues, afflictions, pains, deprivations— We think they're, for the most part, evil, and they are. God didn't make us to be sick, to be in strife, to have to bear the the heavy, heavy burdens of, of others around us who are victims of evil in one form or another. They are evil, and we dare never see them as not evil. 
but they're also instruments that the Holy Spirit uses to turn our attention away from trying to count on ourselves, trying to use the gifts of God as gods themselves. He uses the afflictions and the pains and the deprivations to remind us that there is but one Lord who can sustain us in daily life. For the Holy Spirit is bound and determined. Oh, no, that doesn't sound right. The Holy Spirit's not bound. He's not determined. The Holy Spirit freely committed himself to the task of sanctifying us. And that means that he will be present in our lives to help us with those techniques we devise to fight the little sins, the symptoms of our old identity that's been buried with Christ. He will be with us in plagues and afflictions and deprivations to remind us to draw us back through the attacks of Satan, turning the tables on Satan, so that we may rely on Jesus Christ alone. For in our baptisms, we have been given a new identity. We have been made new creatures, Paul tells us. It is because of our baptisms, it is because... In some of, uh, of our lives, uh, of all of us assembled here today, the, the, the recreating Word of God came in other forms before baptism. But for most of us, it came in baptism first, and for all of us, it came decisively in baptism. It's the point where we can look. It's our new birth certificate. It tells us who we are. It has determined our spiritual DNA. And that is the person we are, buried with Christ, We're not the person Satan tries to tell us we are. We're not that poor weakling that can't do anything else but sin. We are the people of God. We've got work to do. We've got a home to move on toward. We've got a new identity. That is the reality of who you and I are this day. As we are engaged in this battle to say no to Satan to stop the little sins, to affirm and let everybody around us know that we are the children of God, that we are the people of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we show them the love that he has shown us also in our baptisms. That's why we can say, we are risen. Alleluia. That's the way it is on this Friday of the second week of Easter in our Lord's year, 2007.